Welcome to the Marriage Today podcast. I'm Karen Evans, and this is my husband, Jimmy. We have a great teaching coming up. We've got some questions here from viewers. Before we go to the teaching, we're talking about three unchangeable realities of marriage that every married couple needs to understand. That's the teaching coming up here in just a few minutes. But Karen, let me read you this question, first of all, from one of our viewers. What do you do when your spouse does not work on the habits they know they need to change to better the marriage? I want to encourage him to change without nagging or seeming disrespectful, but I'm so ready uh, to be out of this cycle. I'm feeling defeated and that things will never change. Yeah, that's a good question too. Um, I think that my first thought is, you know, one of the things that you and I have practiced doing is, you know, asking each other, you know, how are we doing? You know, is there anything I can do to improve? And so instead of looking at him not doing, maybe ask him, is there something that she needs to do? And, you know, the way I see it is it's an act of humility goes a long way. And, you know, if we're humble in our relationship with each other and we, you know, say, you know, hey, you know, I know I can be irritable sometimes. I know I can be frustrated. And, you know, please forgive me if I've been that way. But I would just like to, you know, if there's something I can do to help this relationship improve, I'd like for us to talk about it. You know, and maybe just go back and forth with the communication like that. Because I think if if it's that bad, though, that they do need to get counseling. Yeah. And, and, you know, you say this, Karen, all the time. When I was at my worst early in our marriage, uh, you went before the Lord and you said, Lord, uh, change me. Mm-hmm. And when you began to change, because I had talked about bad habits, uh, nothing that you could have said would have gotten through to me. Mm-hmm. Okay, But when you began to change... And you began to soften. When you attacked me early in our marriage, you'd get mad at me and you'd, you know, say things to me. It just made me worse. But when you began to change and soften, you talked about acts, uh, being active humility. Mm-hmm. That's that's when I began to notice right. not just that you were changing, but that I was doing things I needed to change. Mm-hmm. So I think praying and allowing God to change you, and always being honest and just saying, "Honey, I wish you didn't do this, 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 and you know, whatever." But once you have said it four or five or eight times mm-hmm. and they're still not changing, you need to change your, your Well, strategy. I think sometimes it's just make a commitment to sit down and listen to good teaching. You know, Absolutely. Our, our website's full of material that Absolutely. they could sit together, listen to some good teaching, and then just talk about it. How can we implement these teachings into our marriage? We have hundreds of marriage teachings on EXO now for myself, David, Ashley Willis, many, many different people. $9 a month, you invest in your marriage, have a date night every week, sit down and listen to a marriage teaching, exactly right. Mm-hmm. Read a book together. Just get a book on marriage and read it together. It, it will transform your relationship. Uh, I think you have a question I do. Here. My husband and I have been dealing with infertility for the past four years. We have a good marriage, but the passion we had for one another at the beginning of our marriage has taken a hit. What advice do you have for us? Infertility is so difficult. Both mm-hmm. of our kids dealt with this. Mm-hmm trying several years to have uh, babies and sex can become more of a mechanical uh, act mm-hmm. than it is a loving act. And, and I think that first of all, it's, it's typical that what you're going through is typical, but the putting your marriage first means you want children. You're going to work to have children, go get medical help, do whatever you need to do to have children, prayer, all, all those things that are very important. But your relationship is the most important thing. And what it means is you don't blame each other. Uh, and there's no sense that if we don't have children, that we're not, this is the wrong marriage. This is the wrong relationship. Okay, it's, We love each other. And when we're having sex, it's an act of love. 
and we're believing God that a child will be the product of this. Mm-hmm. And so our daughter went through four years. Our uh, son, they went through four years, uh, waiting for the second, for, waiting for the first child, and then the second child for our son. But they were, but they were born, mm-hmm. and, and they they went and got medical help, but they also uh, got prayer, mm-hmm. and. They both, and now we have five grandchildren, healthy, happy grandchildren. Mm-hmm. In those days of infertility or back in the past, mm-hmm. but they both went through those same kinds of issues. Mm-hmm. You go through it together and you need to be in church. You need to have good Christian friends around you, uh, both with our son and our daughter. They had someone praying with them and, and encouraging them and saying, I really believe the Lord said you're gonna have a child, and mm-hmm. blah, blah, blah. Mm-hmm. Tremendously encouraging for them to yeah, go through that. Yeah, I agree, that's good. Okay, so we're gonna go to this teaching now, talking about three unchangeable realities of marriage that everybody needs to understand to be able to really to, to go through the things we go through in marriage and, and keep our hope alive and keep our marriage alive. If you haven't subscribed to our channel here, Marriage Day Channel, do that on the Apple Podcast Network or Spotify. Uh, Also, leave us a comment. We would love to hear from you. God bless you. We're going to go to this teaching. You don't make a covenant. You cut a covenant. And every time in the Bible when a covenant is made, there's blood. Adam and Eve had a marriage covenant. Adam got cut. Jesus said, this is the new covenant in my blood. Okay, so covenant means a sacrificial, permanent relationship. A sacrificial, this is going to require sacrifice, permanent relationship. Well, did you know that the wedding vows that most of us take are covenant vows? Whether we realize it or not, here's what he said, for better or worse, for richer or poor, in sickness and in health. You know why we say those vows? Because we're making a sacrificial covenant relationship. Okay. Marriage, marriage means there's going to be sacrifice involved in this. And when poor comes, when sickness comes, when, when bad times hit, I'm all in from the very beginning. M- my expectation from the very beginning is this was a sacrificial relationship that was a lifelong relationship. And I've got my sleeves rolled up. Let me say this. We've turned marriage from a covenant into a contract. Co- a covenant relationship is sacrificial. A covenant relationship is I surrender my rights and I assume responsibilities. A contract I protect my rights and I limit my responsibilities. So we, in, in our culture, we have turned marriage from a covenant into a contract and it's absolutely pathetic. It just simply doesn't work like that. It's gonna require sacrifice. So here are three unchangeable realities of marriage. These, these, this is just absolutely true related to marriage. We all have hurts from our past, quirks in our personalities and ignorance concerning the opposite sex that only marriage will cure and it will take years for the process to be completed. And now again, pre-marriage counseling helps tremendously. A right courtship time helps tremendously. But even with all that, we're imperfect people and we're entering into marriage and it's just gonna take a while. And it's gonna be a long process. There's gonna be sacrifice that has to be made and that's just the truth. And so a lot of times, the more fearful that people become in marriage, the more idealistic they become. And, and I see women sometimes, they're not just looking for a husband, they're looking for Jesus Jr. <laughs> you know, it's like, I want the perfect man. Well, that, that perfect man is sitting in heaven. There's no perfect men down here. I see men that are looking for a spirit-filled Stepford wife. You know, they're looking for this just absolute perfect, I'm going to find the perfect person. No, you're really not. The, you, the right person, yes. You're going to find the right person. 
But that right person will be imperfect. And that's just, you, you just have to, you know, get your brain on straight. And so here's the issue. It, this is critical. When you do marriage properly, you heal each other. See, when you expect that you're going to marry someone and they're just going to be this perfect person or whatever, is you get your heart broken because no one's that way. But understand this. Men, the Bible says for men to love their wives as Christ loved the church. The word Christ means anointed one. Did you know that every man is anointed to heal his wife? When you nourish and cherish your wife, Ephesians 5 says men are to nourish and cherish their wives as they would their own bodies. When a man submits himself to Jesus and when a man loves his wife the way that Jesus loves the church, he heals her. In other words, you're not going to get yourself a perfect wife, but you can get yourself a perfect wife, a healed wife by being a Christ-like husband. I'll use an analogy here in just a minute. Did you know that women are made in the image of the Holy Spirit? Did you know in the Bible that women in the Holy Spirit have the same name? Helper? When God made a woman for Adam completely equal, he called her helper. And that means one who supplies what is lacking and the power to accomplish a task. And did you know that every woman has in her what her husband needs to be healed? Did you know when we're married properly, it's a Christ-like man and a Holy Spirit-like woman healing each other? So when we get married and we think that we're going to get this perfect person, and, and we don't, and we find out that they have quirks and flaws and things like that, and now our heart gets broken and we turn on them and we wound each other. Why do we wound each other? Because we just came in with wrong expectations. Most, most people today, honestly, they think if their wedding is nice enough, that's all that matters. They do very, this is the truth now. Most people today getting married, they do very little pre-marriage preparation, but they just go nuts about the wedding. Destination wedding on a beach, whales, you know, breaching, you know, wild horses running, doves being released, the ch children's choir singing, you know, all this just perfect wedding, and we're going to have this perfect wedding, and then happily ever after. It's not really the way it works. Really the way it works. Weddings aren't emotional operating rooms that fix everything. They're the registration desk for the hospital. If you think it's bad before you get married, it'll be a lot worse afterwards. You're just signing up for the marriage hospital. Let me talk to you about a gardener versus a consumer. Okay, mentality. Um, a gardener goes out in the yard and the gardener sees a tree and the tree's not healthy. And the gardener says, hey, goodness, you know, I need to do something here. I need to feed this tree. I need to treat this disease. I need to do this and this and this. And the gardener says, you know, I need to take responsibility for this tree. This is my tree. I need to take responsibility for it. A consumer goes out in the yard and sees the same tree and says, I'm going to go to the store that I bought this from and complain. I want a new tree. Let me ask you a question. In your marriage, are you a gardener or a consumer? When you see a problem in your spouse, do you take responsibility to do something about it and heal it? Or do you think about getting a new model? The, the, the way that we think about marriage sets us up for success or failure. And I'm saying in your marriage, there are going to be times when your spouse is sick and they're suffering and there's nothing they can do about it. They need your help. 
And if you're a righteous husband, a Christ-like husband, and a Holy Spirit-like wife, you're going to see your spouse struggling, you're going to see your spouse suffering, and you're going to reach out, and you're going to sacrifice yourself to help that person. If we're superficial and selfish, we're going to go and demand a better model. Kind of, you know, as I've done marriage counseling over the years, because of this issue of false expectation, I've thought about reality weddings, you know, all these reality shows on TV. I've thought about reality weddings, but, you know, and, and let me just kind of give you this suggestion. And I know y'all already married a lot of you. Some of you aren't. You might want to do this. But, you know, I think at weddings there shouldn't be tuxedos and wedding gowns or really anything nice because I think it's false advertising. I think we're all too messed up for that. And I think probably what needs to happen at weddings is, first of all, you get counseling. You go to a counselor, but the counseling is not designed to fix you because you're too messed up for that. It's going to take way too long to fix you. And so the counseling is for the purpose of just basically seeing how messed up you are. And then you have to dress accordingly for your wedding. Okay. So, for example, at my reality wedding, the dress, the, the groom does not wear a tuxedo. He wears a military uniform, ripped up, bloodied up, all terrible because his family was an emotional train wreck. And all his family's messed up. He's messed up. She needs to know what she's getting into. So he's going to stand there during the wedding, all bloodied up, bandaged up with a military uniform. She's not going to wear a, a wedding gown. She's going to wear a hospital gown. And she's not going to have any flowers coming down. She's going to be pushing an IV coming down the middle aisle. Because <laughs> her family was an emotional train wreck. They're both messed up. They're both, and so they're both going to stand there looking like that at the wedding. And all of his family, they're out there bloodied on the front row. All her family the same way because they're all messed up. And they need to know that. The pastor doesn't dress nice. He dresses as a terrorist and carries a rifle. <laughs> and if anyone gets happy during the wedding, he fires around just to shut everybody up. This is a serious event. And everybody needs to know the reality of what's going on. Now, I don't think anybody's going to do that. So I've got a second option here. These, these are my... Reality vows, and I offer these to everybody getting married. These are my reality vows that I think every couple should say at their wedding. I do solemnly swear to take you as my lifelong patient, to bandage and to medicate you as long as we both shall live. I will love you for richer or poorer, for better or worse, in sickness or in sickness because you're one sick puppy. <laughs> and I don't see you getting well anytime soon, though I'm hoping for some improvements today. I realize that the pretty clothes you're wearing here on our wedding day are rented and will be returned. You will probably never look this good again. That's why we're taking so many pictures to preserve this rare moment. I also understand that reality is waiting for me at our hotel room where tomorrow your morning breath will announce the dawn of our lifelong journey together and the harsh morning light will reveal the real you. In spite of all of this, I love you with all of my heart and wholly commit myself to this marriage until death do us part. So help me God because I'll need all the help I can get. Those are my reality. I offer those to y'all. But see, disappointment's the number one reason for divorce. Is Jesus, I love Jesus. I just love the way that Jesus does things. Day one, he walks up and says, here's the deal. You want in? This is going to require sacrifice. This is going to require you making some hard decisions. Are you in? I want you to be in, but I don't want you to come in with your brain all wrong. I love Jesus, but I hate the devil. I hate the devil. 
I hate the way he sets everything up for failure. Everything is so pie in the sky. Everything is so idealistic. It has to fail. It has to fail. And so I'm obviously joking about my reality weddings here, but I'm saying this, it's better than what's going on right now. With people dressing up and acting as though everything's fine and everything's beautiful and they're all prepared for marriage when they're not. And it's not going to work. It's not going to last. Here's, here's the second unchangeable reality of marriage. Without an understanding of reality and a strong commitment to the marriage, every significant problem threatens the marriage. When, when, you, when you get married and bad things begin to happen and you begin to get disappointed, you get on your heels. When you enter into marriage with a sacrificial covenant mentality, there's no question I'm staying. There's no question that I'm going to fix Whatever the issues are in our marriage, I'm all in. I'm going to pay whatever I have to pay. I came in to this marriage saying for better or for worse. I came into this marriage saying in sickness and in health. And so thank God for the good times, but when the bad times hit, I'm all in. I am not a renter. I don't have one foot out the back door. I'm not on my heels. I'm all into this relationship. I'll do whatever it takes. University of Chicago, Linda Waite, uh, did a survey, and she wrote a book called The Case for Marriage. It's a wonderful book. But she surveyed a group of very unhappy couples. And uh, these were people that, that were just basically miserable in their marriages. Five years later, 85% of the couples who were very unhappy described their marriage as very happy. And in describing the commonality of what those couples had in common, she said a couple of things. One is they had a strong work ethic. In other words, they didn't mind working. They knew they had problems, but they had a strong work ethic. The second thing is their friends did not value divorce. The worst thing in the world to have in your life when you're having struggles in your marriage is someone at work trying to talk you into going to a strip bar or happy hour. Yeah. Covenant relationship is a relationship that's willing to do anything. You come into covenant knowing this is going to cost my life. This is going to cost me everything. This is covenant. There's blood here. And when God created marriage, God have, could have created Eve out of the dust just like he did Adam. But that wouldn't have been a covenant because there's no blood. But he cut Adam. And marriage is a sacrificial, permanent relationship that God only blesses when it's a covenant. I mean, sacrifice. That's why Jesus turned to the people and told them, this is going to be a sacrifice. This is not going to be a walk in the park, but it's worth it. Here's the third unchangeable reality of marriage. Satan hates marriage and every couple will come under spiritual attack. We must fight it for our marriage against the true enemy and not our spouse if we're going to survive and succeed. Uh, the, the, here's the good news. God has a plan for your life and your marriage. Here's the bad news. So does Satan. The devil's the accuser of the brethren. And he hates marriage because marriage is the image of God. He hates marriage because it's the most sacred institution on earth. Mar God created marriage in Genesis chapter 1. It is the first institution he ever created. And it's the foundation for every other institution on earth. And he's a strategist. He understands if he can destroy marriage, he can destroy all of society. He hates your marriage. He hates what your marriage represents. And he hates the potential that you have together in God. And an unchangeable reality is you're going to have to deal with the devil in your marriage. He's going to come. The Bible says that when we go to bed on anger, we give a foothold to Diabolos. 
And every single time we go to bed on anger in our marriage, we will be counseled by the devil, whether we know it or not. And he will interpret our spouse's behavior to us. He'll try to get us offended toward each other. He'll try to convince us that we made a mistake. And you've got to close that door on him. You don't go to bed angry. You talk things out right now. You don't sit there and let the devil tell you that, you know, uh, there's something wrong with your spouse. You married the wrong person. You, we deal with our anger every day, and we take our thoughts captive. And I'm not going to let the devil tell me something about you that God hasn't said. God loves Karen Evans perfectly, and it is impossible for me to get him offended at her because he's mad, mad in love with her, madly in love with her. And any time that I feel anything other than that type of love for her, the devil's got a thought in my mind. And so we're going to have to deal with the devil. And here's, here's what I'm saying. The, 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 the news is that in order to succeed in marriage, we have to treat it as a covenant. And we have to sit down day one and count the cost. There's going to be, there's going to be some sacrifice here. We're going to have to war here. We're building something great. We've got to count the cost because it's going to take us every single thing we have. And this is going to be challenging. The other side of that thing is we're going to succeed. And it's going to be the most awesome thing we've ever done in our lives. And we're going to make a difference for God. We're going to raise godly children. We're going to make a difference in the world, so on and so forth. And the devil can't stop us. 